Cool. All right. Let's jump in. We've got a great guest here today. We've got Tower Aviv from Riverside, which is super meta because we're actually in Riverside right now recording this. So we'll definitely get into that. But Tal, thanks so much for uh, jumping on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a very meta experience for me. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get into it. And uh, yeah, before we do, I, there's a lot of cool stuff you guys are doing with product, um, maybe and a lot of cool stuff with product and product management, product work in general, we can talk about. I'm excited to dive into your experience, tips and all that. Uh, maybe just give us the kind of quick background, where you're from, how you got, uh, how you got your start working in product in the first place. Um, I started out actually uh, studying chemical engineering, and uh, that's like like the chemical engineering, like oil drilling, oil refineries, yeah. pharmaceutical processes, yeah. mass production. Yeah. Um, interned in that, I was uh, yeah like a excited, uh, really excited about that field. Um, and in college, I uh, happened to have this idea. This is back in two thousand seven, eight, nine. Uh, had this idea for a really bad idea for a startup. Um, and I, long story short, uh, in software, worked with a few friends to build it, learned over the years to, to code, um, build it myself, build feature iterations myself, and uh, became uh, addicted to the, the contrast between the instant gratification of software versus $500 million chemical plants. And uh, then, sure. so I became a SaaS company, and uh, I did that for a few more years. And then when I decided to get a real job, I learned that uh, I, what, the parts that I really enjoyed of the startup was not necessarily the craftsmanship of writing code, but uh, doing support and marketing at the same time as technical and design, and, uh, but never really being very talented at any one of those things. Um, and it turns out in the real world, that's called product manager. Uh, if you kind of like yeah. the broad uh, spectrum of all those things and working with those people, but... Uh, you don't have any uh, any uh, particular uh, strength that qualifies you for those jobs, so um, that's where that's that's what the next job that I had, and pretty much the only job I've ever had since. Uh, so I've, then I worked at Wix and uh, here in Tel Aviv. I went back to San Francisco and worked at Patreon for a few years, um, and then AppsFlyer, and now I am at Riverside. Nice. I think I remember the Patreon office in in Soma because I was in I was on Harrison and what was it Fourth and Harrison? I think a block or two away. I remember the Patreon office there. So maybe we might have we might have crossed paths on Mission Street at some point. <laughs> um, but very 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 cool. Um, so yeah. So tell me about let's let's get into Riverside. It's one of um and I'm not just saying this it's one of the best and and more exciting products I've used, especially in work uh over the past year we've been we've been on Riverside since day one with our podcast and probably gosh maybe close to a hundred episodes uh at least fifty or seventy five at this point that we've done in Riverside and it's been a really excellent product. Um, it's, you know, allowed us to record high quality audio and video and use that for our, our whole kind of media strategy here on the marketing side at launch notes. So it's a really cool product. I'm really impressed by it. Uh, I think this is the second company I've used it at, uh, but I'd love for you to maybe tell me in your own words, how you, how did you find this product? What excited you about working on Riverside and 
um, yeah, we can kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a, I'll give the medium version of the story. The, the thing that uh, really grabbed me and uh, really got my attention about Riverside uh, here in Tel Aviv is when it dawned on me that the most pivotal moments for me with software tools or any kind of technology tools in my life uh, where they were iMovie, uh, they were medium and notion mm -hmm. type tools for writing, the, they were Lego Mindstorms for coding and, and hardware robotics as a kid. There were Glitch for coding later in life um, and, and building web apps for fun. Um, all the way to DJ apps that uh, I had a roommate who was mm -hmm. a really professional DJ and had tons and you know, very expensive equipment. And then I could do 80% of that a few years later with an app and feel really uh, engrossed in creation. And what those all had in common was the ability to create without barriers to entry, whether that barrier is money or investment of time or course or credentials. And let me get right to the fun part of expressing myself and forget about the tool for the most part. Um, and I realized that that's what Riverside is building, or was, you know, is building uh, for the world of conversations, conversational content. And mm -hmm. that tool doesn't mm -hmm. exist, but to make, and you know this very well, like to do what you are doing um, is not accessible to everybody. It's, it takes a lot of thought, preparation, research, whether it's Reddit groups, communities on Facebook, whatever, people sharing tips with each other. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we find a lot of inspiration in what Canva has done for uh, Photoshop, where you don't have to go on Reddit and consult with people in order to use Canva. You don't have to Google and read a lot of these white papers or blog posts and best practices uh, to use Medium, right, and so on. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what we're chipping away at. That's our vision for conversational content, which when I first heard conversational content, I was like, that's, that's a really small niche of content. Like there's so much more. And then you realize like that that's actually like the vast majority, vast majority of like the biggest plurality of content on the internet. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also the kind of content I think that is most intimate, least clickbait, you know, most bridging. I think the, the kind we need, we need more. Of. So uh, I really, really identify with what Riverside is doing. Really Very personal. cool. Like I want this tool to exist in the world. That's that's so cool. There's so many cool directions you could go with that. Uh, totally agree with you. And it's 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 funny. I actually wrote out. Uh, I'll send it to you after our, our call. Like we've, uh, I'm running content content and content strategy here at Launch Notes, and we're a, you know s still growing sort of Series A B two B SaaS startup. But the the podcast and these recorded conversations and this kind of output I'm creating we're creating right now is the sort of hub of the whole strategy. And I think it's a really smart way to build a content strategy in 2023. And I've, you know, I've been through everything with, you know, blogs and SEO and social, and I've kind of been around enough now to see all these different kind of waves come and go. But this does feel like a very, um, it's almost sort of like the, the purest distillation of what like a really great content strategy can be. And I think kind of we've really... Uh, intentionally put these recorded conversations at the center of our entire strategy and our all our thinking for our marketing department because it's such a potent output that then you can go do so much more with. And it's been really kind of incredible and uplifting for us. So 
Um, totally agree with you. And as a sidebar, I should, <clears throat> I need to make a list of products that get re- referenced the most in this podcast because can't every, like every third episode, someone mentions Canva. Um, incredible product, definitely. But I, I love yeah. the, the sentiment, you know, it's, uh, empowering there's these iconic products and you can even go back to like everything like apple computer did like with iphones and you know mac 2 and all that where it's like empower like empowering larger parts of the market like taking you know tools that were you know had barriers of entry whether it was cost expertise access and sort of expanding that to to everybody um it's a really kind of powerful space to be in. It's got to be super exciting to work on. Definitely. And Canva is both in terms of what it did for the, its space, but also uh, like for my personal experience with Canva, which is, I remember I, I kind of, I, I got lucky. I found out about it like a month before other people on Patreon found out about it at the time. And mm. I had a mm-hmm. month where people, including really <laughs> talented designers were giving me all these compliments. I'm like, I didn't know you had a design back. I'm like, literally that's what they were telling me. Uh, I got to enjoy that for about 30 days. <laughs> until they That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, and it's, um, I think if you're in, you know, if you're in the tech bubble, like Canva's one thing and I've, I've sort of gone back and forth. Now I'm back in, I'm out of San Francisco. I'm back in uh, just kind of a small town in, in Michigan working remote and, I have a lot of friends who are, you know, non-technical, not professional designers who are running like brick and mortar small businesses and SMBs. And all of them are using Canva. It's like an amazing tool for, you know, creating social media content, all this. This is not a Canva podcast, by the way. I'm going to have to ask them for sponsorship money if we go on <laughs> too much longer with this. But yeah, uh, the, the, the tool category is, is super interesting. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's maybe dive into some more of your, because our audience is largely, you know, product folks, um, product managers. I know you gave me some some notes before the before the call, which is super helpful. I'm interested in this one. I'd like you to expand on this note you left because I'm I'm really interested in you know what's what's behind this. You uh you mentioned something about s- the pendulum swinging between different forms of dogma, realizing it's a mess and. And, and nobody actually knows. What, what do you mean by that? Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, I think uh, over the course of, of different places that I've worked over the years, I, I always would find myself coming out of each experience with this very clear dogma about how product works. Like, this is how you do product. And if you don't, you know, your, your time is limited. You know, like, there's no way this can last. Um, and... Um, and then, you know, wait a few years and, and go through another school of thought and another company. And then somehow I have this totally other dogma um, mm-hmm. of like, you have to be, you know, it has to be an outcome and you have to have a clear KPI. And if you don't have that, like, you're just going to be shipping things for no reason and, 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 and everything's going to blow up. Um, and, uh, and then I, I so I, I went through that phase and then I arrived um, back in Israel and uh, I worked at a company where I was, I was aghast. I was like, well, there, nothing has a KPI. There's not outcomes. The roadmap is all features. This is Marty Kagan said not to do this. Um, <laughs> and, um, and over time, that schooled me again you know, to, to be like, wait, okay, that is working too. There's something that's working about this. It, it, this can't be a fluke for so long. The company's been around for 13 years, and 
Um, mm-hmm. And they don't have a, a clear strategy doc, and they're not, you know, there's no hierarchy of OKRs, and um, but they reach 1,500 people, and they're still making good decisions and and, and adapting quickly to the market, and, and um, really basing things off of customer input. So um, it taught me um, to really understand that there's no one right way. Uh, that the, it matters more the customer that you're serving, the market that you're in, uh, the, um, I guess, the nature of the industry. And of course, there's things that don't change, like somebody in the company somewhere, uh, hopefully the product person is very close to the customer on any channel that you can possibly have, whether it's listening to sales calls, talking to them directly, you know, use the research, reading support tickets, and gone and on, right? Like those things have to happen at some point. You can't be in a vacuum and making stuff up inside the building. Uh, but past that, uh, whether it comes to development, like waterfall or no waterfall, and do agile and do Scrum or don't do Scrum or use one week sprints, two week sprints, or four week sprints, um, there's no right answer. And the only wrong answer is, is dogma. I think that's like my uh, me growing up moment. Yeah, that's um, I love that, and it's like the I don't know if this is like advice about art or or fashion or what, but there's this idea of like, hey, you know, like a- advanced people know the rules so they can break them, and I get the sense that you or so they can bend them, and it's like um, I like that you're not you're not like recommending don't know the dogma or don't, don't practice the, you know, whether it's agile or scrum or shape up or whatever you're doing, like know the text, but also know how to sort of like think outside of it. Um, I think that's super smart. And it's interesting. Like we've had, like I said, you know, 50 plus product folks on this, um, on the show in the past year. And we've had, uh, you know, associate PMs who are a couple years out of college all the way up to, you know, CEOs, co-founders, uh, just last week had a, a VP of product at Stripe. So a uh, good range of experience there. And I have noticed the more, the more advanced folks, the less you hear about the dogma and this just sort of like the vocabulary of agile or this or that, or, you know, Marty Kagan says do this, but continuous and, you know, discovery says do that. Like you get a lot of that with sort of like early mid-career folks. And then, I mean, my theory is you do need to kind of grow out of that or know that, but be able to communicate beyond it to really excel. Um, And you also grow into a spot where like you're, you're kind of communicating and storytelling, not just to other practitioners of the thing. Like, you're talking to customers, salespeople, investors, um, the press, whomever. Like they don't really care about your vocab words around, you know, Scrum Master or whatever. Like they need like a human kind of story and connection and and all that. So there's there's definitely a sort of growing into that that I I've, I've noticed as a pattern. Yeah, I had a colleague, uh, a law company, who uh, he was an engineering manager and. Um, we were sitting over coffee one day and he said, yeah, you know, the previous company I was at, um, they did everything right. They had all the right processes. They had everything was so well managed and uh, product wise and engineering wise and Jira wise and whatever else you could possibly, you know, do all the best practices. And they mm-hmm. failed to raise their series D or, you know, now they, they don't mm-hmm. exist. So like they did that. Mm-hmm. And 
you can have uh, somebody, a company doing everything cowboy style and um, no process. And you just have to be really, uh, I think it comes down yeah. to really good instincts for your market and your customer and what, what that market and customer need. hundred percent. Yeah. I worked at uh so I spent five years at Atlassian before jumping back into the startup world and, you know, they really with, with Jira kind of hitched their wagon to agile in a big way and, you know, kind of rode that wave. And, um, I saw a good spectrum of kind of folks relationships with the agile methodology. And there's definitely some, man, some of it's just like, kind of feels like religious fervor, like some of the, <laughs> some of the like, uh, a- attachment to the dogma with that. And then, I do notice with a lot of these, whether it's agile or, you know, lean or something else, or it's quickly people kind of like lose the forest through the trees and they get hung up on the details and, you know, they get hung up on the, you know, they, they miss some of the bigger points and they, and they get kind of lost in the, you know, the religious text of it all and debating the minutia of the text rather than adhering to the overall principles. Like, you can practice agile without calling it agile or you can learn, you can take a couple of those ideas and, you know, apply them without being, you know, fervent about it. So it's, it's super interesting topic. Yeah. I think, I think I, the, um, uh, if I could, if I could summarize product in, uh, in three words, it'd be good people talking, just get, just good people <laughs> yeah. actually talk and the rest works out. That's been, yeah, another, uh, another amazing realization I found. And I think, uh, uh, another pattern, like more, more advanced sort of like established folks, like kind of come back to that. Uh, they use data and sort of like quantitative, you know, data as, as a backdrop and as a tool, obviously, but it's not, you know, more junior folks get kind of lost in like, if I can't answer this with a SQL query or a dashboard, like I've got nothing. Um, and then I'll talk to someone who's like, you know, a VP at Stripe. And they're like, well, I talked to this person and he pointed me that direction. And it's like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a mix. And it's having that, uh, having that conviction, right. By often just talking to people, which is incredibly insightful. So, I want to go a little, uh, I don't typically do this, but I want to go a little choose your own adventure with this next question because uh, I'll, I'll ask it in the little little behind the scenes here. Uh, I'll, I'll ask guests about some conventional wis- wisdom to think about some conventional wisdom that they would question or push back on. Sometimes people have one or two. You gave me like a laundry list of like six things here, which I love. Um, and I feel like I can tell you you're passionate about each of these. So maybe, I don't know if you got the doc pulled up, but maybe I'm going to let you yeah. pick one of these topics and, uh, and we'll chew on this because I want to know which one of these you want to talk about. Uh, I'll go with the first one because that's clearly the first one that chronologically came to my mind. Um, Perfect. It is the one I feel most passionate about. Uh, okay. And uh, it's, it's basically that product isn't a role. Product is a team. Mm. So okay. I think this also, this is the kind of thing that uh, as, as people mature over their careers, as companies mature, you know, that this is um, a realization everybody has that uh, people will say sentence, you'll hear sentences like that. Well, that's product's job or product didn't take this into account. Mm-hmm. And um, the, 
the implication is that there's this role, this product, and they have all the answers, and they're like the hub of the wheel, the spokes, and you know they're like the the, the nerve center of this thing, and the memory center, and uh, they're you know uh, activating everybody else. And uh, some people mm -hmm. operate that way, and uh, there's some situations that make sense to operate that way. Um, I think for innovative products with high uncertainty, lots of risks, and lots of creativity, the best way to operate is, is more of a mess. And that means that your QA person, if you have one, your engineers on this project, your designers, your analyst, and product person are all in it together to answer all these question marks that come up about how we're going to solve this problem. Now, product has a distinct role. If they do anything, it's to identify the problem identify why we're solving this problem. How does this connect to the strategy? How does this, um, right, like what, what's the story behind this? Who is it for? And what is, what is the problem not? What are we not doing? And also, what is the appetite? How much are we willing to invest in this? How much time do we have to invest in this? How many people do we have to invest in this? So um, that is what all those people crave so that they can have the constraints to be creative uh, and think creatively. And from there, uh, the way the best outcomes I've ever had uh, as a as a team at any company have, funny enough, never been my idea. Like mm, in terms of things mm -hmm. that literally pushed metrics and and changed the business or changed the experience or uh, whatever the the goal was across the board, almost invariably they they have not been my idea as a product person, um, mm -hmm. and they've come from giving context to really talented people and doing my homework intensively and coming with a very clear narrative and letting these really smart people uh, bounce off of each other, bounce off of me and come up mm -hmm. with things that, you know, I would never alone come up with, that only the team could have come up with. And yeah. uh, I know it maybe sounds like utopian. It, it really works. You know, when you get good people in a room and you, and you give them freedom, but you give them enough constraints. Like, um, so, yeah, magic happens. And yeah, yeah. when I say product isn't a role, it's a team. It's, it's also day-to-day -day. as we're developing, as we're coding, as we're getting it close to the finish line, you know, operate as much tactically in a Slack channel, open Slack channel. People, the, the organizations tend to really want to just DM the PM directly, DM the product managers on Slack, and just everyone wants mm. to ask the product manager directly questions. And it's very tempting to, to answer those direct messages and be the hub to the spokes mm -hmm. and it's about creating a culture where no there's just a channel we're all in it like by the mm -hmm. time i get around mm -hmm. to it and get out of meetings and can answer you right if you put it in the channel and this happens all the time seven other people have not just answered it they've had a whole discussion and come up with a few recommendations usually the answer is obvious yeah. i might show up at the end and be able to make a decision and unblock people um yeah but operating this way is faster better outcomes mm -hmm. and uh and obviously, the responsibility and the ownership is always on the on the PM at the end of the day. But it's a role. It's a I team, love. A role. I love the Slack channel as a sort of uh, proxy for your point. There, it makes total sense because it's like I think of every like you know think of any major any major launch you've worked on and like just imagine or like you know. <laughs> Uh, spy in on that Slack channel the day, the week, two weeks out from the launch. Like you're going to see really rich conversation in there with you're going to have PMs, marketing, support, sales, engineering, design. Like 
there's going to be a real like intermingling of conversation and there's and yeah a lot of it kind of aligns to folks roles but a lot of it is like you know you could be a fly on the wall and not necessarily be able to pinpoint right away like who's the pm versus the designer versus the salesperson because it's one kind of you know it's one kind of collective unit at at that point so um i love that you know i love that analogy and that point um all right so like i said you've got a you 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 did have a laundry list of <laughs> of other strong opinions here. Anything else you uh, anything else you listed here that you want to jump into? What else can we chew on here? Hmm. Uh, some of that we we implicitly covered earlier. Um, you know, something related oh. to what we just talked about. I wrote here um, PRDs and specs. Um, I'm so I was funny. I was literally just gonna suggest I was literally just gonna suggest that you bring that one up. So yeah. <clears throat> so, so I, so I want to actually like connect this, you know, I've, Oh, good. I was going to say, I, I just want to read what you wrote. You wrote PRDs specs are not something you sit and write. It's you capturing the result of a conversation. I, I love that actually, but I'll, I'll let you kind of kick it off. Uh, it's funny because recently I have a really good friend who's very deep, um, very big expert on AI. And we're just chatting and, and he's like, uh, I mean, you use you use GPT, you know, a chat GPT for, for work. Sure. And I was like, actually, um, I, I'm still looking for a way to work it in. And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm gonna, you know, fly over there and hit you. Like, of course, you should be using it. How are you not using it? I'm like, I'll, I'll look for. He's like, you know, it can write PRDs and it can do this and it can write tickets and you can like, you probably read lots of reports and it can summarize things for you. And I was like, well, I don't really write a lot of long documents or spend a whole lot of time you know, writing PRDs or, I, don't, I mean, I know, I know people think this is what product people do or it's what they imagine uh, my day-to-day -day is like. And it, my day-to-day -day is way more lots of conversations. I, I'm the scribe, I'm the secretary writing down the results of that conversation and, and saving it and documenting it. And when it comes to outputting, I don't spend a lot of my time, if any of my time, sitting and writing long PRDs or Jira tickets. Um, it's usually the conversation and having a tons of conversations throughout my day with engineers, with designers, with legal, with sales, customer success, whatever it is. Um, and I'm recording and scribing and being the secretary to those conversations and the one responsible for capturing the, the conclusions uh, and what we decide. But that's, that's second nature. That's, that's, that's the easy part uh, compared to those conversations and those tough, tough topics. And, you know, the, um, I don't, it's funny when I think of my role, I know a lot of people see product from the side as the person who wrote this really long document, went into their cave, thought of everything, came out and came down from the mountain and, you know, you know, uh, mm -hmm. presented it to everybody and either it's good or it sucks. And, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, that's not how life works. And I think the more I see my job as capturing and documenting conversations that I have, um, and, and judgment that's made as a team. And the less I see it as, you know, the person who wrote a really great long epic, uh, then the easier my job becomes. I, I love this point. I love this topic. I think it applies in a lot of ways. And, um, my, uh, <clears throat> my, my kind of first career before getting into, you know, startups and marketing and everything was, uh, I was, a newspaper reporter. I wrote for daily daily newspapers for a lot of years and 
And that's the kind of, you know, hey, professional writer, like you're probably sitting like typing away. I would often say like the the actual typing is 5% of my job, maybe 10% if I'm really got a meaty thing going. But even then it's like the typing is not the job. The typing is just like the little delivery mechanism at the end of the day. 90 plus percent of my time is spent out in the community, talking to people, interviewing people, going to the zoning board meeting, figuring out what's going on, you know, trying to find the document that's got the information that's got this, like figuring out where the story is, double checking it with sources, developing sources, like all that stuff. And then the output is just, you know, the writing is, is the output of all that work, but the real work is everything that comes before it. I love the connection you made there. Um, so in that world of like newspaper reporting and writing, there's a saying I always used and still use is, you know, every writing problem is a reporting problem. And for me, that's, that's still true. And it's like, if I got back to the office and went to type my story, if the story wasn't strong enough, it wasn't a writing problem. It wasn't that I didn't have the right adjectives or flow of words or something. It was, I need to go, needed to go back, get more information, figure out something tricky, double check, you know, like I need to go out and do more reporting, not more writing. Right. And I see that all the time where people like great example with, you know, with PRDs or it could be, you know, a project brief or anything. You don't have to be working in product for this to apply. People kind of sit down at a blank bank blank page and they're like, okay, here we go. And it's like, no, like you've either got the research or the lived experience or something to draw from. And if you're struggling at the page, the problem is, you know, earlier on in the, in the research and gathering and, you know, analysis phase. So I love this. I love this point. And, and I've had a similar kind of, you know, love hate relationship with, uh, with, with GPT and AI tools lately where it's like, yeah, like they can do like the kind of easy part for me. For some people, the writing is the hard part. Like I totally get that and it's helpful. Um, but what I really need is help with like creating the inputs, right? Like that to me is the real work. And I love, I love applying that to product work because it, it makes total sense. That's really cool to hear that that is, um, that's like cross field. That's like, a, you, yeah. yeah. Today, uh, hearing you say it's 5% of journalism, the typing is 5% of journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It really resonates. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's like, and, and I see this with a great, product workers where in and product managers where it's like i look at what they're doing most of their day and it's you know having conversations working with engineers working with designers talking to customers talking to customers talking to customers talking to sales sitting in on sales calls you know they're not like hobbited away in their cave like typing you know like uh these uh gifted from heaven product specs, like the, the work that goes into it is, you know, once you do that work, then the, you know, the right in a lot of ways is, is the easy part. Uh, l- love that point. I'm so glad we got into that. I want to jump into, um, I like to ask, and you listed a few here in our little prep doc, which I appreciate. I like to ask product people about, uh, products they're into lately. Um, this could be work, personal, whatever, uh, what's, you know, what's a product or some products that you, uh, are kind of playing with or think are cool. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll confess to something, which is I'm 
not an early adopter of technology. Mm, mm -hmm. and, um, and I found that there's a term for this effect that I'm really uh, into, it's called the Lindy effect. I read about it in a book called Antifragile. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, it's this principle that something that's been around for a very long time is more likely to be around for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you, you know, if you walk into a bookshop, you know, look at all the bestsellers, um, you know, or go on product hunt and look at all the new things that have been uploaded or posted, some of those things are going to be around for a very long time. Mm. But things that were launched yesterday or published yesterday and so on, there's going to be a much higher noise to signal ratio. Mm -hmm. But if you look at things that have been around for a very, very long time, some of those will fail tomorrow. Some of those are going to blow up tomorrow. Some of them will. But mm -hmm. there's a much higher signal to noise ratio. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this mm -hmm. because uh, I tend to really late adopt products for this reason. I know this, I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud on a, on a podcast as a product person, but <laughs> I, I'm, I just find that's my that's what I end up doing, um, or at least not being the first to jump on things when they're first launched in the first wave. I kind of let, let other people, uh, you know, filter out the noise, and that's what I'm saying all this because my favorite product is an app on my phone called OneWriter, which okay. is basically what would be on your Mac text edit. Or it would be on your Windows computer, Notepad. Mm, okay. But one cool thing about it is that it synchronizes with Dropbox. So I have a folder with okay. a bunch of text files, and I have the app on my phone. You might ask me why aren't you using iOS Notes? Um, mm. And I'll I'll say this is actually what I really love about OneWriter. It is just the simplest tool mm. in the world. There's okay. no options. It's just text files, and it just syncs, and they're really lightweight, and it works offline. Mm. And there's no frills. There's like Notion. I love Notion. I use it for a ton of things in my life, personal and business. Yeah. But it's so fancy that, and there's so many things that it uh, give it loses speed. And it, it loses a lot of really like really basic things that you um, get when you stick to text edit mm. uh, or when you stick to uh, OneWriter or Notes on your phone. I. And, Hundred yeah, percent feel that. Yeah, yeah. No, I one hundred percent feel that. That's so interesting. I mean, I uh, I've played with you know, uh, I, again, love Notion. Use it for work all the time. There's all sorts of you know, and obviously every couple of years there's a new, at least one, if not a half dozen, like you know, note taking, writing, to do list apps that people are excited about, and it is that like the more kind of features and functionality and stuff that comes in, the more I've noticed these products introduce that like latency from like the latency between like, I want, I realize I want something to write something down and how long it takes me to actually like start recording that. Uh, I mean, milliseconds can feel like, you know, weeks, like you it's every, literally every millisecond counts. And there's so many times with, you know, I won't name names on certain products, but it's like, open the app. Okay, here we go. It's loading. It's opening. Opening. It's like, okay, well, I can't just type it in this doc. I, you know, now I have to go find the document to, to bring it in. Okay, now there's, well, actually, now I'm, I'm, I'm in read mode. I need to click into edit mode. Now I need to scroll to where I want to type. Now I need to click there. And now I need to get my cursor to pop up. And it's like, it sounds trivial, but it's like, th that is uh, greatly enough headache and latency to make me go, eh, I'll write it on later. 
No, I just won't. I won't mess with it. So like anything and I've played with, I, I've sort of settled, I'll have to try this because I've sort of settled on notes is like, it's kind of the fastest. If my internet connection, you know, is non-existent, it'll still open up. That's another big thing for me with a lot of these apps where it's like, Hey, like I've got an idea to write down, but I'm like in an elevator. Um, so I have to wait, like that just sucks. So I'll have to try this out because that, that is, um, that's a big, uh, that's a big kind of, friction point that I think gets missed and there's all the other all the other features won't save it it's a, that little bit of latency and friction can throw you off um, what was that called yeah. writer one writer? writer it's like the number okay. one the digit yeah. one and the word writer it's interesting I'll, because when you said you know every millisecond you add like we know all those you know famous uh, war stories of Google mm. in the milliseconds and website loading and all that uh, yeah yeah on Amazon but it, it's even in a work environment when thought about e-commerce uh, or ads, it's about every millisecond is like exponentially raises the barrier in your head. Mm -hmm. so exactly. Yeah. I'll just do it later. And every yeah. le fewer millisecond is a lower, like exponentially lower. And you're just, you forget mm -hmm. about the tool and you're just more likely to write it down and mm -hmm. record it and find it later and do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, it's a it's a great principle and you know a good lesson for product folks. I like the uh, I like the early adopter point. I mean, I think people it's easy to only look at the upsides. People talk about being an early adopter and they only look at the upsides of it. Um, and in a lot of ways, like maybe with software and you know things like free plans and freemium and you know open source, it's like you can kind of like get your hands on stuff for, you know, without making a big like cash investment at least. Uh, but even so there's still the investment of your time, right? Like, and there's still the investment, the opportunity cost of like what else you could be doing. Um, and then certainly on the consumer side, it's just like, you know, there's, there's people who paid $10,000 for a 3d TV 10 years ago. That's, you know, useless now. So <laughs> there's, there's plenty of downside to being, you know, everyone talks about the first person who, you know, got started using the iPhone, but they don't talk about the, you know, the guy who wasted money on a Microsoft phone. I'm the kid who bought a Game Gear. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> See, perfect. <laughs> and then ever since you were like, I'm never, I'm never getting burned again. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, Tal, this has been super fun. I, I mean, I could talk about this uh, this kind of stuff all day. I know it's uh, it's getting late in your part of the world, so appreciate you you staying up to have this chat. Um, if folks want to, uh, obviously your your product is Riverside.fm. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. If you're doing a, a podcast or a project like this, if folks want to get in touch with you, say hi. Uh, where where can they find you? Uh, Twitter. I'm most active on LinkedIn and of course, uh, medium is where I post a lot of, uh, for sure. Well, we'll me getting in touch. LinkedIn's the best idea. awesome. Well, we'll, uh, we'll drop those links in the show notes so folks can find them. Otherwise, thanks so much for being here. We'll have to have you back for a round two. Cause there's, I, I know there's more that we can get into, but appreciate you uh, having the chat today. Thanks tall. Like, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review. Your review helps new people find the show. More importantly, it lets us know which episodes you've enjoyed the most so we can continue to find amazing guests and topics you'll love. 
Even if you don't typically leave podcast reviews, it would mean a ton to us if you did. We're pumped when we get new reviews. I personally read every review. I'm always sharing them with the rest of the Launch Notes team. So thank you in advance and see you next time.